0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Now, we have here a first step into an area of Scripture that is certainly important. But if you know these verses, as well as the verses to come, they are also hotly debated. So how we come to these verses matters. It matters even as we see that these verses are important. We're not shying away from that. It matters that we see, as we look at these, the higher, deeper emphasis that Paul is making here above anything else. Now, we might differ, and we probably will, differ on how all of this comes together. But if we miss Paul's bigger points, we miss everything. Not an exaggeration. So, discussion of these things, it is to be looked at and it is to be considered with the Lord in our sights, with the Lord in view, with him who came and suffered and died and willingly laid down his life for us. Laid down his life to save who? Perfect people, righteous people. People that have it all together, raise your hand if that's you. Well, that's none of us. He came to save sinners. And so we, if you're here and you know Christ this morning, we are to come with the tone and the demeanor of servants of Christ. Those who come laying our lives down for one another. Those who come and are even called to love like Christ as well. Those who, as Galatians says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what might that look like then? Walking like that. Walking in the power of the Spirit of God. Well, We don't have to wonder... About what that looks like. We're actually told what that looks like. As Paul he says in Galatians, those who are walking in the Spirit of God, they will look like something, uh, look like something, won't they? And what will they look like? You know the verse as well, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So as we consider this passage this morning, may those be evident in you and in us and in me. May we come to these verses in view of Christ this morning in view of our Lord. So let's do that. Amen. So to see all this, let's read here, beginning with verse 1. May God be with us, and the Spirit of God work in us, and may He work among us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, or now there are varieties of gifts. But the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to no one For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another... who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Amen. Now, one thing we have seen about this letter, because we've been walking through this letter for you know, a few months, a good few months, <laughs> or longer, I don't know how long it's been now, but we have been walking through this, and one thing that we have seen is that it touches on so many things that are just so vital. Even over and over again, we have come to subject after subject of things that just are so relevant, so important, that impact so many aspects of our lives. And in in that way, this letter, it deeply challenges us on so many levels and it really should have and should be doing that, as we have been walking through it, it is right that it did do that as we have walked through it and is doing that. Now we've seen many of these already, these subjects, these host of subjects that Paul has addressed. And so here's some of them. Divisions. How relevant is that? Don't even have to ask. I mean, we just look out in America and... I mean, even outside of the church, divisions. Well, that's relevant. The cross of Christ. How central is that to everything? The Word and the Spirit. Spiritual pride. Sexual immorality. Church discipline. Lawsuits among believers. Marriage. Divorce. Singleness. Remarriage. Idols and idolatry, Christian freedom, the centrality of the gospel in all things, biblical headship. And just last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper. Important, right? (laughs) I mean, which one of those would you say isn't? (laughs) All of those are vital and vitally important. Now, those last ones, biblical headship and the Lord's Supper, Paul, he looked at those in the context of worship, in the context of the church, in the context of the gathering of the saints together. And so it is here also, as we come to these verses, he is looking out in the context of worship, the church, the gathering of the saints. And so this chapter, chapter 12, on through chapter 14, will very much be related to that, to worship and the church. And so we need to be ready for specific things he's going to be addressing among all of us here and for all of us here. Yet as we come to these verses, he's also shifting a little bit as well. You know, at some point, and if you remember as we've walked through 1 Corinthians, you remember as we were back in chapter 7, that we saw that the Corinthians, they had somewhere along the line, they wrote a letter to Paul. And they had a number of questions and concerns that they were wondering about, like, okay, what about this and this? And we don't have that letter. But we see Paul addressing those concerns and those questions here in this letter. And so he started specifically addressing those concerns one by one by one. And so he started all that back in chapter 7, verse 1. And so you'll remember his words there. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. There you go. I'm addressing those now, Corinthians. And then again in chapter 7, verse 25 now concerning the betrothed. And so he went and turned and addressed that. And then again in chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning food offered to idols. And he addressed that, right, from chapter 8 through chapter 10. What well, we see, he's addressed all those various concerns. They had one after another. And so it is then here as he writes, verse 1, chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. And so he's shifting, turning to address here some concerns and questions they had. We don't know all that they were asking him, but we have the inspired words of God here with him and his answer. And so with verses 1 through 3, at least these first part we see Him addressing the Lordship of Christ and the spiritual gifts. The Lordship of Christ and the spiritual gifts. So he wants them to understand something so that they will not be uninformed. Now just seeing this, and you need to, In this kind of like, people all around us who are really for theology, and then others who are totally like, Against theology, we need to see here how deeply understanding something really does relate to practice, to life, to the church. Understanding not being uninformed, because he wants you to be informed, and this isn't the first time he's done this, but understanding will, your understanding of things will affect the church, and it will affect you. It will affect on practical levels how you would deal with trials, how you deal with life, how you deal with anxieties and fears and you just keep going on. Theology matters. And what we believe matters. And so it's important that we understand these things and more. So here he wants them to understand The spiritual gifts, or literally, spiritual things. That's the the Greek word, Is spiritual things, or I think it maybe makes a little more sense to say, the things of the Spirit. Now that's the word he's using here in verse 1, when it says spiritual gifts there. It's not technically that word for spiritual gifts. And that's important, that's an important clarification, because he's going there, He is. That's what he's going to be talking about. So this is not a wrong translation here. He's right. He will be doing that. But all of this relates, because all this does relate to the spiritual gifts, but he's addressing here a concern that matters deeply when it comes to the things of the Spirit. That word. That's where it comes in helpful. And it relates to this question. Under whose sway are you living? Under whose sway are you living? So right in line with that, he addresses those who live under the sway of idols. Those who live under the sway of idols. So before the Corinthians knew Christ, they lived as pagans. Which, we know how that is, right? I mean, that's for most of us, to greater or lesser degrees, I mean, we were right in the thick of the world, living for the world, living in the world, loving the things of the world. Which is what they were doing. Worshiping perhaps even false things. Working, worshiping America. Worshiping secularism. I mean, worshiping, maybe you were in some other religion and you worshiped that God. And maybe it was that. Or something else. Well, they were that. They came out of paganism, big time. They worshipped idols, and they lived under the sway of these idols. So hear that. Idolatry, false worship, false religion, and false religions, all of those, they are leading people, maybe even you this morning, they are leading people, and maybe you, astray which is what he says in verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. They, false religions, false worship, idolatry, they are leading you away from the truth and they are not leading you to the truth. We need to just like stand back and just look at Your life, look at America, look at the things that even you've grown up knowing. And we need to ask, are those things primarily founded upon the truth? You're not to be held sway just by anything. And they came out of that. Instead of you, and so part of that is what's behind all of those is sway behind idols. So what is behind those? And maybe you remember what Paul's answer was from chapter 10. Well, Paul, he told us what's behind idols, what's behind idolatry. So chapter 10, verse 20, he said there, No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Amen. Chapter 10, verse 20. That's what they were living under. That's what you were living under outside of Christ. They were living under the sway of the demonic. But now, they are different. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, you are different. Those who know Jesus are different, and they are to be different. You are to be different. You're not to be like the world. You're to be like Him. Like Christ. And so believers don't live under the sway of idols. They live, believers, in your notes, believers live under the sway of the Spirit of God. Now, By the grace of God. And that's huge. We're not perfectionists here. Like Pharisees. Like my righteousness is going to get me there to heaven. That's not it. I mean it will, but it's not yours. (laughs) It's Christ's righteousness that gets you to heaven. And so we don't come as those who have everything together. We come by the grace of God. Just highlight that. Let it be on the banner and put it before your eyes. That is why we press on. That's how we press on. That's why you're alive in Jesus Christ right now. That is why you are different. Amen. By the grace of God. And so by the grace of God, we live and serve God in Christ by the power of the Spirit of God. And this is why he says all this in verse 3. If you know Christ this morning, the Spirit of God dwells inside you right now. Praise the Lord. He indwells you. What an intimate, glorious truth. He did not leave you as orphans, did He? He sent His Spirit to be in you, and He is in you. As Paul said back in chapter 6, All of this comes in the context of other things he said. So chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, he said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So those who know Christ, every believer everywhere is indwelt with the Spirit of God. And Paul is saying that if you know him, you will not denounce Him. I mean, as believers in the Lord, like, that's not even crossing your mind. Jesus is anathema, that's the word in the Greek, anathema, accursed. That's not not where we are, right? Not at all. Only those living under the sway of demonic forces would do that. Those who know Jesus don't do that. Yet as we see all of that, we need to see this isn't just a matter about what you say. Now, it is, because he says, right? I mean, no one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So it does matter. But, and here's where the whole counsel of the Word comes, and it's perhaps exhorting us as Americans where we love to say a lot of things. But in reality, we're not. Even in our churches, maybe especially in our churches, Lord, help us. We can say Jesus is a Lord, and not know Him at all. Have mercy. And I don't just grab that out of the air, right? Remember what Jesus said. Those fearful words. That many of us think on, perhaps, and we're like, Oh Lord, may it not be? From Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, There, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Never. It's not like they were saved and they lost it. He never knew them. And that's not possible, by the way. But he never knew them. Depart from me, he says, you workers of lawlessness. So it's not just a matter of words. It's more than words. It's not just a matter of what you do. It's more than what you do. It's about the lordship of Christ over you in all things. Because you really do know him. And if you do know him, your aim is to really do the will of the Father from a heart that belongs to the Father by the grace of God. So as we consider the spiritual gifts, as we consider knowing Christ, does your life testify to the truth that Jesus is Lord? Does your life testify to the truth that Jesus is Lord? You know, this is not about perfection. It's not about holier than thou. It's about believers saying, Christ is Lord over me. He's Lord over my words. He is Lord over my deeds. He is Lord over my thoughts. He's Lord over my desires. He is Lord over all things. Everything. So who is Lord this morning over you? Is the trajectory of your life, is it really just all about you and your goals and your kingdom and your plans and a life lived for yourself? I mean, who really is Lord? What of God's kingdom? What of His church? What of the lost? What of God's Word? Or it might be, you need to ask here this morning, do you know him this morning? Is he your Lord right now? And you can just look at your life and know the answer to that question. If Jesus is a casual thing to you, you need to consider and examine yourself as Paul calls us to and to test whether you're in the faith. Because Christ is not a casual thing. He is everything Amen. for the believer. And if not, if you don't know the Lord this morning and He isn't Lord of your life, you need to respond today. And you need to repent. And you need to put your faith in Christ today. Amen. Not these other things. Look to the One who loves you. And friends, He loves you more than anyone else more than your mom or dad you may love them dearly and they may have loved you dearly but his love far surpasses any way, anything any sort of love they may have showed you or show you right now far greater than a husband or wife he came and laid his life down to save you and so if you're here and you don't know him you need a Lord and he is the one So, put your faith in Christ this morning and trust in the Lord today. Amen. Now, all of this, these opening verses, they are important. Why? Because they set the tone for verses 4 through 11. The Lordship of Christ and the spiritual gifts and the spirit of god are inseparably connected now hear that this is the basis for the good that flows from the spiritual gifts which then points us to paul's second point here in verses 4 through 11 the spiritual gifts are for the common good. Therefore, the common good. Now, you miss everything here if you miss this. Jesus is not laid aside when we talk about the things of the Spirit of God. He is absolutely central. And if you have been tracking with this letter, what has this letter been? It has been a Christ centered letter. Him we proclaim. The cross of Christ, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, Paul says. He is the wisdom of God. And so Christ has been central throughout, and we don't just simply say, well, now let's just like turn it and totally forget about Jesus. And focus on the Spirit of God. That's not what we are to do. That's not how we are to think. That's not how we are to work or live or practice anything and everything as believers or as a church. Yet before we fully see that, even more, in some specific ways, we need to see that the spiritual gifts are given by the triune God. Verses 4-7. through So God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the one behind the spiritual gifts. That can be confusing. One God eternally existing as three persons. God is behind the spiritual gifts. And you may be thinking, well, I thought it was just the Spirit. Well, no. Yes and no. (laughs) Right? And this is Paul's point here. Paul's tying the spiritual gifts to the Holy Spirit, verse 4. He's tying the spiritual gifts to the Lord, the Son of God, verse 5. He's tying the spiritual gifts to God the Father, verse 6, making clear, yes, it is the Spirit of God who gives the gifts. But behind the giving of the variety of gifts, service, activities, is the triune God. This means That the giftings cannot just be understood in any old way. They are to be understood in light of God. In light of His character. In light of His purposes. In light of His Word. Any claim that the Spirit is doing this or is doing that, that contradicts the Word of God, that contradicts the Gospel of God, that contradicts the Lordship of Christ. Now hear me here. Contradicting any of those things, they contradict the Spirit of God. And so when we think of the Spirit of God, there is this integral connection to His Word, to Christ, to the Father. And there will be no contradiction. And each gift is given, as we see there in verse 7, for the common good. As in, it's profitable, it's good. Now, that right there is a correction to a thousand errors when it comes to the spiritual gifts. The Corinthians, as we'll see even more in chapters 13 through 14, they thought through their gifts, they were part of the spiritual elite. You see my gift? Pretty hot stuff. Did you know I can speak in tongues? Did you know that's the best gift? That's what they were doing. Oh, you? You just, you heal people? Well, great. Well, I can speak in tongues. You know, this is the kind of thing going on. And Paul, he'll make that plain especially in chapter 14. This kind of spiritual elitism. Friends, any kind of sanctification, any view of sanctification, any view of spirituality that says there's like a higher tier that you can get to is a false spirituality. Christ is the one, He is everything to us, He is our maturity. And so, the gifts, they don't magnify you. They magnify Christ. And they bless His church. And they don't move our eyes more towards you. They move our eyes more towards Him. And upward is where we go. Hence, when we come to these things... We come to Christ, the Christ exalting gifts of the Spirit of God. No accident, the Christ exalting gifts of the Spirit of God. See that? That's what they are. I think this is part of why Paul started the way he did in verses 1 through 7 to emphasize, to underline. Like this, you know, scribbly, you know, that means it's urgent, right? Scribbly line under those verses to emphasize the lordship of Christ in the gifts. If you are living under the sway of the Spirit of God, Christ will be exalted. That's his point. And so there is to be this God-centered taste and tone to the spiritual gifts. As in the workings of the Spirit, we glorify the Father and magnify Christ. And I, we see that here, right? In verses 4 through 7. But we see it elsewhere, too. You know, what Francie read a moment ago from the Gospel of John is especially relevant here. And what did it say? What did John say? What did the Spirit of God say in the Gospel of John? Well, Jesus, He said in chapter 16, verse 14, here is what the emphasis of the Spirit will be. He, the Spirit of God, will glorify Me, Jesus. For He will take what is Mine, and declare it to you. And so the Lordship of Christ here and John's emphasis on the Spirit of God glorifying Christ makes clear that the spiritual gifts have a center. Christ will be exalted in words in actions and in service. So any and every consideration of the spiritual gifts, we have to ask one definite question. One clarifying, one clear question, and it's this. Is Jesus being exalted? Is he being glorified and lifted high in that? And if the answer is no, oh no. That's not from the Spirit. So by magnifying Christ, we are not ignoring the spirit of god rather when christ is being heralded and proclaimed it is evident that the spirit of god is at work he loves and he it's his role of pointing to christ as he has done from genesis to revelation right he did that many things to ponder So in view of Christ, then, we are right to see our need for humility as we consider the spiritual gifts. Our need for humility. So verse 7, it points us this way. But so does Paul in where he is heading. (laughs) And where is he heading with all these things? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. (laughs) And what chapter is that? You can just look at it, right? The love chapter. He is saying we are being called above anything else to that. To spirit-empowered love. So we most certainly, as we come and begin looking at these gifts, we need to come with humility in these things. Now we might talk about this more when we consider chapter 14 which might kind of egg on you in this sermon like man I want to know everything right now well Paul doesn't do that right he doesn't tell us everything in these verses and even in these verses he doesn't really like we don't fully have all the answers to all of our questions which is why this is highly debated but let me just briefly and broadly discuss two views concerning the the spiritual gifts. Because what are we doing? Aiming to understand these things. One is continuationists and one is sensationists, or continuationists and sensationists. And maybe you've never heard of those views, but those are the views. Now, within that, there are nuances under each one. So continuationist nuances. Cessationist nuances. I'm doing a broad picture of those two views. Now, let me say, both wholeheartedly agree God can and God does still do great things. No argument there. Everyone's like, amen to that. Continuationist, cessationist, yes. However... They part ways on whether some of these gifts are still going on today or not. Continuationists say most of them continue. Since, and most of them because they say some don't. Sensationists say, they say one doesn't. Sensationists <laughs> say a number of these don't, as in they are no longer active. Now, of course, your question is, where do we go? <laughs> no, where do, where, do, where do you land then? Well, a number of years ago, I would have been in the first camp. But over the years, I've been more and more convinced of this latter position as I've been wrestling with the Scriptures Wrestling with these verses, wrestling with 1 Corinthians 13, wrestling with 1 Corinthians 14, wrestling with Ephesians, which also applies here. Now, I say all that, one, to make you aware and to bring understanding that there are differences, and we see that in churches, right? But that's just to situate where I'm coming from All the while saying, even declaring to you, as I hold on this side, cessationist, even declaring God still can and does do great things. I believe that, even know that with all my heart. And I've seen that. I've seen God do great things. Now, I realize many differ on this, and that's okay. Yet what isn't okay is if we press on with our view and disregard where Paul is heading here. Hence, why most of my sermon has been moving us and pressing us in view of what he's saying here towards where he's going. And where is that? 13. Love. If we say this or that, but don't have love, friends... We have missed it. Isn't that what he what he says there in First Corinthians? By speaking the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm just a noisy gong, a clanging symbol. And on he goes. Right? If the spirit or the fruit of the spirit of God are lacking in us, we have missed it. If Christ is not being exalted we have missed it. Now we could spend quite a bit of time talking about each one of these. And by that I mean that. Like we could... I mean, how much time do you want? (laughs) You know? 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. But knowing that Paul will be discussing many of these in greater length here in short measure, chapter 14... And even in this chapter, we'll delay much until then. But for now, what are these? And you're like, well, at least tell me something. Well, that's what we're going to do. How shall we understand these gifts here? So very briefly, and probably not to your satisfaction, let me look at each one of these in turn. So taking like we did, taking the council, verse 7, taking a good big piece of humble pie then, with this first one, and I put it as one utterances of wisdom and knowledge is about being gifted to teach. So Paul, he lists teaching in every other list of the gifts in Romans 12:7, later here in 1 Corinthians 12:28 through 29, and Ephesians 4:11. And so connecting these to teaching here would be fitting especially since he mentions teaching specifically at the end of this chapter twice. And he doesn't mention these other two or these one, I would say, wisdom and knowledge. Also, wisdom and knowledge, or literally here, the word of or the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge these two are often linked to understanding as with like Colossians chapter two, verse two through three, and not just there, but at many other places. But it says there that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like this unfolding Of these glorious truths with Christ being at the center. center, And they're coming and setting forth these things. Gifted by the Spirit of God. To set them before us. Also as we saw back at the beginning of this letter. Wisdom is tied to Christ. And preaching Christ. In chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verse 16, and it ends there as it's talking about like the spirit and wisdom of God, right? In Christ, the wisdom of God, it says that we are to have the mind of Christ. So wisdom and knowledge teaching you unto that end. And teaching is about that, about revealing and teaching what has been revealed and explaining, exhorting, and applying it. It is concerned with a gift of clearly setting forth wisdom and knowledge unto these getting into our minds and unto these things getting into our hearts and unto these things getting into our lives so that, chapter 2, verse 6, that we may have the mind of Christ. That's the longest one I'm going to spend time on. Because that requires probably the most explanation and then the other ones we'll get to later. But here, this next one. Faith is about powerfully trusting God and His Word. Now, all believers are to walk by faith. All of you are. I am. But this is a unique faith. A faith that steps out and walks by faith when others might not be, right? I mean, it's like risking to the glory of God in view of God's word and view of his promises. Like when no one else is, they're like, I'm going. Like Jonathan, right? In the Old Testament, he's like, well, I don't know, no one else is, do- let's just let's do this. I mean, if God's going to take care of the rest, let's just go and fight this big old army, just the what, two, or two of us here, so let's go. You know? I mean, that's risking to the glory of God, that kind of faith. And what does that do? It spurs you on. Christ exalting faith as well. Verse 7 for the common good. Healing and miracles are about displaying God's powerful works. On your notes, healing and miracles display God's powerful works, they declare the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And we see this, right? We see this in the ministry of Jesus as he's going around and everything. It's like, here is the kingdom and it's come in Christ. We see it in his ministry. We see it with the apostles and their miraculous works affirming the reality of the gospel and with each instance declaring Christ and that the kingdom of God has come. Prophecy. And it's this, thus says the Lord. As in, New Testament prophets are the same as Old Testament prophets. Now, that's going to need a lot of clarity, but we're going to go to that in chapter 14. So, God reveals something is about to happen, something is about to take place, or He reveals something He's about to do for His glory specifically to someone. The distinguishing of spirits is the ability to discern what is true from what is false. And you can put in there like the distinguishing of like demonic influences as well. Like 1 John 4, 1. He's probably getting at this when he says beloved, but he's talking to everybody. But this gift is especially... Given to some, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The last one, tongues. The most uncontroversial one of them all. Tongues is speaking or interpreting various languages. Now, we need to note something Paul's doing, and he's going to bring it out in 14, 1 Corinthians 14. He mentions this one last. As the Corinthians are doing what? You you have prophecy? I can speak in tongues, right? He's putting it at the end to say, no, (laughs) no, humble pie, Corinthians, humble pie. And so he does it here last to say that. And he will do it again in chapter 14. Now with both of those, prophecy and tongues, even healing and miracles, as seen with Jesus and the apostles, along with other cessationists, I believe that they have ceased in the normal sense of the word, as in, in the New Testament sense of the word. Prophets, tongues, healing and miracles. Does that mean God doesn't still do healing and miracles? No, he does. Absolutely, I've seen it. But in the New Testament sense, cessationists, I would say it's no longer functioning like that today. Now, I know that hardly satisfies every single person here. (laughs) And we could... uh, like I said, spend much more time on this. And There's much more we could say about all these things and on prophecy and tongues. Let me say we will say more. Chapter 14 is very much concerned with both of those. So as much as you may not want to, we have to wait until then. Satisfy with Paul's brief introduction here, right? That's all he's giving. Here's a list. And so he'll dive into some of these more. But as we see these, with each and all of these gifts, see the good pleasure of the Spirit in giving gifts as He wills. All of these are given by the Spirit, verse 11, according to His will. And as we see that that takes the wind out of ourselves in regard to any like self-aggrandizement over the gifts. These gifts are not about one-upmanship. It's not about spiritual elitism. It's not like, well, I have this gift, so I'm in a higher category of spirituality than you are. It's not giving an allowance for spiritual pride. When we have the gifts, as Paul is setting them forth, They exalt Christ. They don't lift up self. They deny self. And so see the good pleasure of the Spirit in giving gifts as He will and then see the gifts are to be used for good. The gifts are to be used for good. They are for the good of the church and for the glory of God. So here, Paul's points here. We might think through these giftings differently, but any view of the gifts that is contrary to Christ, to exalting Christ, to the good of the church, and contrary to love is off the rails. If you, and I've seen this. It's not coming from nowhere. I've seen it. If you or anyone has used their gift to waylay other believers, we and you have good reason to think that is not a demonstration of the Spirit of God for all these reasons and more. So as we think about these things, as you think about these verses, for your life, for my life, for Haven, consider how you and your ministry is aimed that direction at others' good. The Spirit aims that direction. Consider the Lordship of Christ in your life. Consider if the trajectory of your thinking on these things has it exalted the Lord or is it exalting you? And that's why you like it. Is it exalting Him, His work, and exemplifying the cross rather than contradicting it? And so we need to take these things, consider these things, and by the power of the Spirit of God, live out the truth that Jesus is Lord for the good of the church and for the glory of God. May we do that. Let's pray. Father, we come before You today and we come in view of a passage and all these chapters even, wanting to understand them, longing to understand them and to take them up as You call us to do. And it all begins with that question, who is Lord? And so may we ask that of ourselves this morning. May we consider how we have understood the giftings and consider is this how we have understood them? For the glory of your great name, are they for the good of the church? And how are we each of us going to aim ourselves to lay our lives down for others. That's the heartbeat of these things. And so may we, may we consider these things. And if there's anyone here who does not know Christ this morning, may they repent and turn to you, Lord, and know you as Lord. And so help us, Lord, as we respond that we with one voice sing that we will glorify. You, we will glorify our great God. So may we respond in Jesus' name, amen.